the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the lake of fire, the second death. These are images that flooded my adolescent mind alongside real-life stories of pastors in Soviet prisons and mental institutions. This was all alongside the ever-present possibility of a nuclear holocaust. Fast forward to today, we have Russian hackers, disinformation campaigns, fake news, conspiracy theories, and to top it all, a global pandemic. Surely, the stage is set. I'm Paul White, and this is Apocalypse, the Book of Revelation. Join me and my special guest and friend Pete Milner as we explore what God might be saying through this incredible book to us today. So hi everyone, welcome to another sauntering podcast with me, Paul White, and my special guest and friend Pete Milner. Hi everybody. And today we are continuing in our study of the book of Revelation. We're on chapter 8 and we're going to pray again just because we need the Holy Spirit to help us. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us to see beautiful things about Jesus, to understand about his incredible plan for the world and us in particular. Lord, let us uh, make us part of this story. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So chapter 8 then and verse 1 it says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And then another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Wow. Wow. So we've gone through the previous chapter was we had um six seals of the seven on the scroll were in chapter opened. Six, yeah. Yep. And oh, that's right, in chapter six. Then we had chapter seven, um, where we've seen this great multitude and the ones from the nation of Israel as well. And we've got excited about that, but now we're back into the sort of what's going to come next feeling of yes. the seventh seal. So yeah, so we're remembering that we're still in before the throne of God and the lamb is now in the midst of the throne, co-equal and, and co-magisterial with God, which is so great. Mm. And he's still cracking these seals. So we've yes. had the four horsemen we're representing by the fourth, the first four. Then you had the two great disasters that sort of come along with it. And then this big intermission, which as you say was the 144,000 and the great multitude. But now the scene is back to God, the Lamb, the courtroom of heaven. You know, mm -hmm. the angels everywhere, the elders and all the kind of people. We're, we're back in to that, aren't we? Yeah, that's, back in, that's in view. action. And so this censor full of prayers. I mean, 
it's hard to escape the the sort of poignancy of it and the meaning of it, isn't it? That that's what our prayers look like in heaven. It's incredible. How, I, how do you feel about it? Like, what, what uh, do you man, think? This this empowers me. This stuff kind of empowers me because, like, David says, "May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice." Mm. And um, this idea that our prayers come up before God like incense, and the whole idea of incense was to create a smell that was unique to worship wasn't it there was mm. a special recipe for the incense that yeah. had all these spices and oils put together in in a secret recipe and that god supposedly enjoyed that smell although i suspect it was always only ever a picture of this yeah and actually this is the smell he really likes which yes. is the smell of people who prayer. love him calling out to him and it is non-specific prayers aren't mm. they it just seems to be prayers in general i i think that i love that especially because <clears throat> it's he's got incense to offer along with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar so the the sac the the kind of sacrifice that's about to be made is you know the the prayers of the saints are the sacrifice and the incense is there along with it. And so the angel takes the censer and fills it full of fire from the altar and throws it down upon the earth. But the prayers of of the saints, the people that have cried out to God, exactly as you say, are sort of rising before God in the hand Amazing. of the angel. So it's like incense, even though it's special and fragrant things, and it's it's being flung down into the world to sort of establish a worshipful I don't know. I, hear me out. I think that this is the coming of the worshipful community. The, wow. the sort of incense of, of the fragrance of Christ that our mm -hmm. worship carries. It's like it's being flung down into the world so that his worshipful heavenly kind of experience is, is something that we have available to us. Wow. While we sing. What do you think? Oh, uh, yeah. No, I like that. I really like that. I've never thought of that before. Mm. But I love as well. I mean, to me, it's always kind of had this sense that my prayers are gathered up. They're considered to be precious yeah. in the economy of heaven. Treasure so they're kept in, in a bowl, a golden bowl, mm. which we know is going to be something valuable if it's in a golden bowl, isn't it? Normally. Yeah. And then it, there it is, is kept. And it's kind of like there there's, seems to be this reservoir. Mm. And then it's mixed with incense, which I guess... Is it, that worshipful yeah, kind of thing? Isn't the it? heavenly atmosphere of worship, um, and then the angel takes this from the censer, throws the thing, throws it to the earth, yeah. and there are peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And I suppose to me that makes me think: Oh, does that kind of tell me then that our prayers that we offer up to God, then He can utilize and return to earth? in the form of some actions that are then visible on the earth like mm. lightning thunder earthquake so an impact is actually felt on the earth by our prayers that were offered to god yeah i i, I like that idea you know that, that that they are sort of ignited by mm. the fire from the altar of heaven and it's like right we're gonna kind of light these up yeah. and make them work yeah. like they're gonna be activated and then fire fireworks the or 
yeah. power encounters or well, this this earth shaking so, moments. I love it. This this so reminds me of Pentecost. Yeah, you know, that that you've got these these prayers. They're they're gathered and then they are just ignited, aren't they? And Come then on. flung and disgorged upon the earth, yeah. where the earthly outworking of those same prayers suddenly is full of power and and smoke and, mm. and fragrance of Christ. And yeah, wow. I think that that's the that's the the right way to see this mm. that. This is our prayers and as they are kind of collected. And I don't know whether they've got like a bowl of prayers about the end of days and a bowl of prayers about oh, injustice right. yeah. and bowls <laughs> of prayers about... <laughs> I, don't know whether, I, don't, I don't know whether this is all the ones on one yeah. subject or not, but I suspect that it's, it's the pattern we're supposed to recognise in all of our prayer lives, that we <laughs> offer them up before God yeah. like incense and he keeps them treasured, just as you say. And then he ignites them and brings an earthly consequence awesome. as a result of our praying. Tremendously empowering, isn't it? Mm. And, you know, you we go back to that sense we were talking about yesterday about the 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 groaning of travail of the sun, waiting mm. for the sons of God to be revealed. The whole creation, Paul says, doesn't he? Groans and travails. And it's that sense of giving birth to something. And yet this prayer that sometimes we don't see definitely the direct answer to, yet nonetheless it's precious to God and he can utilise it and divert it to whatever purpose he yeah. wants to, I guess. And and I think that that kind of gathers in the richness of human experience because I know you know, because <laughs> I, I know too, that sometimes you, you see a prayer answered with a big yes and yeah. it's like, blam, you know, wow. Yeah. Come on, oh, yeah, look at that. Woo-hoo, kingdom come. <laughs> And then we also know the the bitterness and the agony yeah. of waiting and waiting and waiting and yeah. not feeling like the answer yeah. has come yet. But this is like an assurance, isn't it? To say, even the ones that you feel like fluttered off to heaven mm-hmm. and have just been libraried somewhere <laughs> in the dusty kind of filing cabinet, even those are ju- just have that same precious fragrance and, and treasured Excellent. kind of thing for God. He looks after yeah. them because he values them so much and... Does that speak of a God who oh. rules with no one allowed in the room? Or is it a God who welcomes his children into the place where things are decided? No, absolutely. Oh. He's inviting this human agency into, or this human element, if you like, into his cosmic plans for the universe and allowing mm. our bit to play a part, yes. he? which is... It's staggering. It's even offensive, nearly, isn't it? It's, it's such an... Uh, a scandal yeah. the very idea that the all-powerful god who spun the universe into being and is lord over every inch of it that he could allow these fallen weak puny kind of tiny little people to actually affect not just him and his own personal feelings about us but also the unveiling of, of the gospel it's amazing the isn't world. it absolutely incredible staggering yeah so and it may, it brings to life all the ones like you've been raised and seated with Christ in heavenly places. You know, Ephesians chapter one, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, it, it, we, wow, what a, what honour is afforded us because of Jesus. So verse six, it says, now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets be prepared to blow, blew, gosh, let me start again. The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. 
nightmare. Verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Should we stop there? Sure. Um, I'm recognising a bit of a theme that you remember the golden censer that just got thrown down from heaven into Mm -hmm. the earth. Each of these judgments or each of these trumpets are the same motion, aren't they? There's something being flung down from on high into the earth. Like we said in chapter six, where the seals were broken mm-hmm. by the lamb and each judgment kind of affected a quarter of the world. Yeah. The effects here are being ramped up, aren't yeah. they? So each thing that's sort of flung down upon the earth affects a full third of all who are there. Incredible. So it's it's a sort of large and significant growth and development. But these are horrifying, monstrous, terrible kind of experiences for anybody alive in, at the time, yes. isn't it? Yes. So... We believe these are real physical events that will happen. I think it's difficult to escape the sense in which they are supposed to mean something quite deliberate and physical and material. But it's also hard for me to see that that's the only sense. You know, the water turning into blood, the, the oceans turning into blood. You know, there's no meteorite that could turn water into blood in that sense is it so we are looking at a supernatural kind of metaphysical thing in some way aren't Mm. we these these wormwood and and the um the flinging from heaven onto earth it's like i know that in a first century imagination you've got the earth as like the the kind of terrestrial plane Mm -hmm. and then you've got the the heavens, which is are above the earth, and, yeah. and they're like the, the astral plane or whatever. And then you've got the sort of subterranean underworld mm-hmm. type thing. That's how they kind of yeah. thought about reality. And these things are being thrown down from heaven. Well, we can either say that what we're expecting is lots and lots of asteroids, meteorites to sort of draw near into earth or Earth's orbit and kind of hit the world with in a, a way. Yeah, yeah, you know, a scientist looking with a telescope would see it coming from on far and be like, oh my goodness, we've got to do something about it, blam, you know, and it would be a natural reality. Yeah. Or you have to say that it's it's maybe something more than that. Yeah. You know, maybe it's it's not meant to be just a big meteor shower. Um, maybe these are sort of cosmic heavenly realities that we should understand in a specific way. But to be honest, where that whole thing becomes difficult is that i can't understand what it would mean no. unless we're talking about a future great destruction of yeah nature and, and on yeah. this scale yeah yeah um wormwood is an interesting one isn't it because mm. when chernobyl um went into meltdown it was said something like chernobyl means wormwood in um ukrainian and whatever i've read that i don't know it doesn't no it doesn't it's not i no, think it was one of those one of those things that myths. came out of a prayer meeting somewhere and <laughs> someone ends up having gotten away with saying that in ukrainian wormwood and chernobyl are the same they're not wormwood um wormwood is a bitter herb isn't it um, yeah and it's what makes absinthe the um drink 
it's it's e- it's even vaguer than that in in history you know you can find texts relating to wormwood which can be mean that lots of different things are being mm. signified so it could be the the sort of root that that's used to make licorice and absinthe and the, that sort of aniseedy mm. flavor um, but it might also mean a kind of poison or it might even right. be a mushroom people seem to have used the word as any substance which is sort of a little nasty. bit too nasty uh, to uh, just uh, eat yeah. but um, you also get that sense in which it doesn't totally kill everything, does it? So um, people have made much of these figures, I think, but oh, yeah, it's hard to. It's isn't it? very difficult because it's it. Um, they all have a sense of something more than just a natural phenomenon or a you know a cataclysmic, cosmic kind of thing mm. that we know of in our normal kind of universe with meteorites and volcanoes and stuff, it has a sense that this has got another dimension to it, doesn't it? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Shall I read on? The yeah. fourth The fourth angel, verse 12, blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night... And then I looked and heard an eagle crying, or it might be angel in some translations, with a loud voice as it threw, flew directly overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So, gosh. So, again, we've got the structure, which mm-hmm. is first the four come... Then you get two more, which sort of seem to fulfil it in a way. Mm-hmm. Then an intermission, and then you get the final one, in which is contained the next thing. So up to now, we've we've seen the four first trumpets, and they are like the first four horsemen of the seal judgments, which is they've been flung down from heaven onto the earth. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. What else has been flung down from heaven to earth? Lucifer. Lucifer, star of the dawn. You yeah. proudly lifted yourself up and you've been thrown down. That was a prophetic word. Yeah. Um, in, in the New Testament, we see the reality. You know, Jesus says, I saw Satan like lightning fall to the ground. Yeah. And some people look at this and they say, what we're looking at is a sort of cosmic um, and, and apocalyptic revelation of the kind of kicking out of heaven of right. all his um, horrible minions. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it, it, later on in chapter 12, we'll see that the dragon with his tail swept mm-hmm. the third of the stars from the sky. And mm-hmm. that correlates with this because each of the judgments affects a third of the world. And mm-hmm. so it might be that these heavenly figures, the stars, the moon, the sun, the um, kind of meteorites, shooting star kind of language, Maybe that's all supposed to signify and represent the the sort of casting down from heaven of all who are in rebellion against God so that heaven becomes that that perfect place of of safety and and beauty and um, kind of peace, which would be supported by the stuff from the other session um, we just had, which is where, you know, the ones under the altar are sort of maybe let out. And it's like, okay, everyone, the battle's over. You know, they've been cast out never to return Heaven is now a place where there's no devil, no demons, no um, rebellion, no war. You know, the, the the sort of frame might be that this this great sort of peace of heaven, 
which then unfolds upon the earth is something that's represented by these heavenly things being flung down upon mm. the earth. Yeah. There's a definite negative implication to the people on the earth, hence oh. the three woes from the eagle. You know, the woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets. It's like, yeah. you think you this thought is bad, that was bad. It's getting worse, guys. You know? Oh, it's hard and to so imagine, the implication on the earth is desperate tragedy, isn't it? it yes. You know, it's a... Um, should we read on? Go into chapter nine? Sure. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he... Interesting. Yep. You know. Was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He All right. Can I just stop you there? Do. I think that this is the key to these trumpet judgments. Okay. And it's why I kind of got hung mm-hmm. up on the idea that we're talking about the, the, the angels in rebellion being cast out of heaven. Yeah. This star that falls from heaven is the Satan that falls like lightning from heaven. It Lucifer. Is the, yeah. It is the, the dragon that in chapter one. 12, you know, make war in heaven that is thrown down and... He's being allowed to survive, isn't he? It's like mm-hmm. in, by the end of Revelation, you're given no kind of um, no ambiguity about how doomed Satan is. You know, yeah, there's yeah. no way he can yeah. win. And and the you know God doesn't even throw Satan into hell himself. He just he lets just some an angel, angel do it. it. Like yeah. this is easy. You know, you <laughs> one could, of the staff can deal yeah. with it. And yeah. and again, in view is the problem of evil. That thing where mm-hmm. it's like, gosh. How can God be sovereign and for such dreadful things to be perpetrated against the earth while we live? And I think that this this angel who who is flung to the earth, um, fallen from heaven to the earth and is given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. What's he going to unlock? Well, every bit of hideous, mayhem, demonic, monstrous things that he can have access to. And this is being allowed to be thought of as part of God's big cosmic plan for redemption. Mm. And. People say things to help us with this, don't they? They say things like, um, love can't exist in a world where nobody has a choice. You know, yeah. love can't exist in a relationship where someone doesn't have a choice. Yeah. And so the the great choice of come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, you know, come find rest. That's a real offer to people who right. can really choose not to. Yeah. And it seems that Satan and, and these these fallen angels, these stars which are flung to the earth, and the, the sort of hideous creatures that are going to be unveiled now, they are also part of that somehow. That God is allowing for this to continue yeah. in part because he has a plan which will demonstrate his nature and his the totality of his victory in the fullness of time. But yeah. we're being persuaded, aren't we, that the wars, the famines, the diseases, the, the mortality that we're subject to here on earth is not forever. Mm. It's a temporary thing that we have to suffer through and find meaning in and salvation from. And then one day it will be over. But mm. apparently it's not today, <laughs> which is the difficult <laughs> thing, isn't it? Yes, definitely. So verse two, it says, he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were, allow- they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And the torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. 
and in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Should we stop there for a minute? Sure. Um, I just I, I don't think we've said anything much about some people who in the church over the years have, have called themselves and been called by others to be historicists. Right. And this is a weird term, but let me just explain what it means, because um, it's helpful, especially for these ones, because their their kind of claims on it are, are most clear on this chapter. So a historicist says that what you see in Revelation 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, um, what you see is the passing of the age of the church Mm. so the new testament the gospels acts the epistles they all kind of they're realities that were up to about 100 a.d weren't they and then at the end of that time with the sort of end of the lives of the apostles and things the scripture kind of closes we're not looking for more bible but we do have a church with a mission don't we Mm. and that church continues to do that mission all the centuries up until today so what a historicist says is that all of these descriptions are the progressive unfolding of the history of the church. So you've got the Dark Ages, the medieval period, you know, you've got um, the the rise of Islam, maybe, or the Genghis Khan and, mm. and his kind of horsely hordes, maybe, maybe one's one and one's the mm. other. But what they're looking for is symbols that pertain to historical realities to say, in effect, that right now here in the 21st century we must be near the end yeah and and it's interesting that this scheme has been you know it's centuries old yeah, actually yeah and those people all came to the kind of conclusion that they're right 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 at the right end right the now it can't be it, long yeah. now and in a way the historicists interpret these symbols historically rather than as expected future events mm. partly because they they do resemble them mm. you know these hideous demonic kind of locust things that are you know this these things that are being let loose on the earth and they are under authority in a way there's some things they can hurt and some things they can't hurt they're there and you know they they do resemble some of the great ravaging plagues yeah. or, or you know horrendous hordes of soldiers who ravened the earth in yeah. history don't they and so yeah. that's where the historicists kind of park the bus they say these are historical things that Maybe we're talking about the 6th century AD or the 13th century AD or something, but we're looking for the fulfilment of them in history so that we see ourselves right. at the end of it. Yeah. Um, I think that the problem with that is that you always end up focused on your own kind of history. So stuff that might be true for Europe all the way through the medieval period or the, you know, right. the, the Renaissance is not true at all of, of Latin America, for sure. instance, or you know, East Asia, they experience completely different realities. Yeah. And so I think that it's dubious to try and look for fixed historical realities, with, very which you can say interesting definitely take that. on that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting as we come back to this point, don't we, that people seek death. Mm. So the other one we saw, they were um, trying to hide under rocks and in yeah. holes and stuff. And uh, but this idea that somehow seeking death is going to be the the safest option now. Yeah. It's always interesting. It demonstrates total futility, doesn't it? It does. Hide in caves and rocks and ask to be squashed by them. Yeah. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> Things are bad. You just made it worse. Yeah. But yeah, but um, I guess as we, what we understand and as we read on through the book, we mm. realise that actually death isn't the end. 
and even to seek refuge in death is, be any comfort, is a mistake if you're in trouble with the lamb. Yeah. And life, let's be honest, life is hard sometimes, mm-hmm. isn't it? Sure and it's, it is. it's painful and difficult and frustrating. And other people are also kind of, you know, uniquely living that reality out in all uh, different varied ways. But there is a sense in which we must conclude, you know, partly in response to this text, that being alive is a grace and a mercy from God that we mm. must find a way to appreciate and be grateful for. Great. Because sometimes life is hard enough that you say, like Paul, like you said the other session, you know, I desire to depart and be better with Christ, be with Christ, which is better yeah. by far, which is what the yeah. Apostle Paul says. And and we, I think if you haven't felt that, then you haven't really lived, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not as an exhilarating experience, no. but as a desperate one. Yeah. And Definitely. yet, these people will not be helped by dying early. No. It's, it's not a help and a favour to end people's life prematurely. It is a part of the mercy of God is being able to experience life even though it has pain and it has yeah. life. There's also beauty and love and kindness and redemption and forgiveness yeah. and hope and joy and all that other stuff. Whilst we live. We, while we live. Available to And nobody well, should yeah. be singing that song louder than the church. Yeah, you know, and, and absolutely, we must never give in to that same despair to just wish, oh, why don't God just snap his fingers yeah. and make it all be over with? Because there's so much good that's still to come, come on, and that we still got in our hearts and hands ready to unveil on the world to these people who would wish they were dead. And yep. they are out there already today, even they if you're are. expecting to see they this event are. in the future. Seriously. Mm. Verse seven, it says, in appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The, the first, yeah, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Mm. So the people who look at this text and see a future reality have some reason to think that, like, what we're going to witness cannot possibly be anything less than the literal fulfilment of this thing, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to have horrid little locust things that bite and sting and attack people and that that will be a sort of global reality and Mm -hmm. and it will rush upon us in that sense they may some people might prefer to take the symbolic option and say maybe what i'm expecting is something a bit like the horrible locusts that seem to be everywhere and destroy us everywhere maybe there'll be drones maybe there'll be helicopters maybe there'll be tanks maybe there'll be soldiers maybe we should see them as as demonic ambassadors on behalf of satan in in a much more literal sense in a way i think that that you have to kind of see this as the horror that it is don't you this is an utterly horrible environment where whoever abaddon is he's been sort of let loose upon the earth and um the the destroyer is here to perpetrate mayhem and and cause catastrophe and that oh nobody would look forward to the day that that visits them would they Mm. No, absolutely not. And, you know, it's it does seem to be very much linked to the key, to the shaft of the bottomless pit. All of this stuff 
is kind of like Paul says in Thessalonians is in keeping with the work of Satan, isn't it? It's all mm. to do with death, destruction, the devourer, the one who comes to kill and steal and destroy. And he's out in force and his agents are all over the place doing their thing. Mm. It is interesting as well that like within the, the New Testament, you do see that somehow, although demonic, satanic things are at work, it is evident from things that the apostles say in the New Testament and from other texts in the Bible that they are limited in yeah. many ways, right? Yeah. That the grace of God, the power of God, the authority of God kind of shortens the time yeah. at which they can do their horrible things or, you know, limits their blast radius so that some mm -hmm. people are protected and um <clears throat> i think that you can see that in the sort of surprising use of time to yeah. describe it like, yeah, yeah, what's so months. special about five months you yeah know? is that the amount of time it's necessary or is it a sort of incidental amount of time i don't yeah. know but if, it's if it is a limited period of time i think that's the point isn't it yes for us really but like there's also some sort of holding pen where yeah. these things are yeah. kept. And yeah. I mean, this wasn't happening until the guy gets thrown down and is given the key. Yeah. And now and it is happening. Let's loose. This isn't. Things. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of something both Jude and two Peter mention about, you know, the mm. gloomy dungeons yeah. where the things They're kept were in kept in darkness. Yeah. It's like, are they now out or, you know, at this point yeah. in the, the story, are they out and free to kind of affect the world in all their hideous ways yeah it certainly seems like the the sort of rounding up of every is a bit like c.s lewis you know mm. with the last battle and stuff isn't it it's all that sort of gathering together of all the horrible nasties yeah that can be found sort of thing mm. verse 13 then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and i heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before god saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Excuse me. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number and this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them, they wore breastplates the colour of fire and of sapphire and of sulphur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulphur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulphur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or mm. their thefts. It's tempting to believe, isn't it, that nobody would cheerfully and dutifully and by choice worship a demon yeah but this is the the sort of great irony that's that's within this text isn't it the, mm. this demonic forces which afflict and afraid which are now writ large over the whole yeah. face of the earth doing, doing all doing these horrors thing. monstrous things to you unambiguously but people by their own delusion and desire to sort of um you know lay hold of something 
are accidentally worshipping the very mm. things that are afflicting them so violently. And how true of people is that? You know, people yeah. do fall into this thing of like the very thing they should despise and distance themselves from mm. most. They go into hip, hook, line and sinker yeah. and are deceived by. But there is that also that tension within the Bible of like, on the one hand, idolatry is silly, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, this demon, this God cannot see or hear or yeah, walk. It's, it's a rock. It's a rock or a stone or a, or a piece of wood that you have carved. You know, yeah. the, and this is old in the prophetic tradition, isn't yes, it? You it know, is. the prophets say, you know, you chop down a tree from the forest, you deck it in gold and silver, and then you bow down to it and tell it that it made you. You just nailed it up so that it doesn't wobble. Yeah, literally, you've just stopped it from falling over and now you're telling me that it's all powerful. But, um, you know, in that sense, idolatry is so silly to the person who's met God. But in, on the other hand, you know, people are able to kind of... They're, they're doing something which is really bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not harmless. It's not silly. It's not no. kind of hurting no one. It's a devastatingly tragic and... and hideous sinful evil environment that we should not be participating in shouldn't it yeah but it's, it's so interesting pete that even in the context of this most extreme judgment and the evidence of such pain and suffering in the world that the rest of mankind verse 20 who it's didn't not die right. by these things didn't repent Mm. and they didn't give up and and it goes on it lists their things doesn't it so worshiping demons is one mm. but then they didn't repent of their murders or their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or their yeah. theft you know and I, I think it reminds me so much of the plagues when they came on um pharaoh yeah. and the egyptians yeah. that pharaoh's heart had become so hard it didn't matter really what god did to extract his people from Pharaoh's wouldn't, grasp. Wouldn't he? he wasn't going to allow it to happen. His heart just was way too hard. Yeah, and it, it, it sort of stands in a sort of strong tension and contrast, doesn't it, between that other promise we made, that his kindness is meant yeah. to lead us to repentance. And it's like, by hook or by crook, right? God wants us to repent and believe and entrust ourselves to him. And what he's going to do is, first of all, kindness he's going yeah. to offer up his son as a yeah. sacrifice for our sins to stand in our place and to deliver his own life up to death to love not his knife unto death and to die punished for a sin that i've committed so yeah first thing is that it's kindness that's available to me if i'll call on the lord i'll receive hooray and we're also promised that the wrath the destruction the the kind of kind of doomed destiny of the world is the other portion of that same yeah. force that hopefully will lead some people to repent and say you know i can't trust in this world i can't trust in ungodly things i have to put my trust in the only trustworthy one which is the god on the throne and the lamb yeah. in the midst and the kindness of god and the severity of god are both used for the same purpose in that sense but it just depends on what the condition of your heart is in terms of how you will receive it hmm amazing hmm. so i think we're going to stop there for this chapter but very very sober in thought really hmm. um you know god has shown us this incredible kindness in jesus and yet there's something that can harden a person's heart to such an extent that even if the exact opposite and judgment and wrath were being poured out then they would still not repent because they had their hearts so set on pursuing wickedness oh. 
So, Lord Jesus, we want to have hearts that are so responsive to you, Lord. But also, we cry out to you for everyone that we know who doesn't know you. And we ask, Lord, that in your great love, your great mercy, you will awaken their hearts to you, that they'll see you for the incredible God that you are and Mm. get themselves safe with you before it's too late Lord we just want to see your grace and your uh, mercy poured out on this earth in Jesus name Amen Amen